Welcome to the Canon Law Society of America podcast, where Catholic canon lawyers share their stories, their knowledge, and their love for the law. Now, here's your host with this episode's guest canonist. Welcome to all our podcast listeners. Today, we welcome our 33rd Role of Law Award recipient, Father Paul Golden. Father Paul is a member of the Congregation of the Mission, the Vincentians, and has served the society in many capacities. You will want to read the Role of Law Award citation that Sister Sharon York delivered in introducing Father Paul that evening back in October of 2005 to see all of his accomplishments up till that time. So I want to welcome you, Father Paul, as our guest for this podcast. And I ask you just to share with us some of your memories when you went, went to study canon law and some of your ministry experiences. Well, thank you, Donna. I appreciate that. The first question is, how in the heck did I get to study canon law? Well, that's easy. I'm a member of a religious community, as Donna said. And in 1965, you did what you were told to do. And the provincial assigned me to study canon law. And the reason was, at that time, the Vincentian Fathers staffed at least five theology schools, and each one needed a canon lawyer on the faculty. So it was pretty clear that um, that's where I was going to be going. I wanted to study scripture, but my wants and the needs of the province uh, were quite different. So off to Rome I went, um, and I did my JCL at the Gregorianum, and my JCD at the Angelicum. Why did that happen? Because the Greg just added a second year to the doctoral program, and my provincial was very anxious to get me back home because a teaching slot had come open. Of course, as some of you might remember or heard, in 1960s, all the lectures in Rome, all the oral exams, all the written work in Rome was done in Latin, uh, which just added a little different dimension to our education. So off I went to Kenrick Seminary in St. Louis with a diocesan seminary, uh, hosting many seminarians from other dioceses. And at this moment, I apologize to all my former students at that time for how horrible classes were. I was a terrible teacher. And I realize it now, and I have realized it over the years. I taught just as I was taught. That is lecture. Lecture, lecture, no discussion, very few questions. Um, and of course, I wasn't that confident in knowing all the aspects of the law at that time. Um, but I soldiered on, and the poor students did too, because they didn't have any choice. But during that time, I took some communication workshops. And I don't mean how that happened. And I realized that some of the principles that I was learning in the communication workshops could be applicable to my teaching. And I changed a lot and did a much better job. In fact, I think I'm a pretty good teacher. I got back to Kenrick uh, in 1968, and I joined the CLSA in 1969. I didn't waste any time. Uh, 
The year after I arrived at Kendrick, I attended my first convention. Uh, it was in Cleveland in 1969. The annual conventions were not as big as they are today. And I have to admit, they were almost all clerics. Lay men and women came later. But I want to say here that Sister Lucy Vasquez, who probably will be on one of these podcasts, was the first woman to receive her doctorate in canon law at Catholic University and maybe in North America, that I'm not sure. When I look back at those first conventions, 69, 70, 73, I remember that I was in the presence of the giants of canon law. Let me name a few. Jim Provost, Jim Corridan, who's still with us, Don Heinschel, Tom Green, Larry Wren, Bob Kennedy, and of course, Frank Morrissey and many others. I can't tell you how honored I felt as a new canonist to be with them. Many of these had written dissertations or articles that I used in my teaching. And after the evening dinner, whether it was served to us or we went out and got our own food, there was an open bar and I sat with these guys with the drink in my hand and just listened to their stories. I'll get back to the open bar in a little bit. I was invited or I signed up for committee work right, right out of the chute. And at the 1973 convention, I led a seminary in teaching canon law. I was only back five years. In 1978, Dick Hill, a Jesuit, God rest his soul, and I submitted our report on the survey we did of those teaching canon law in the country, almost exclusively in seminaries. I also was on the committee with Kevin O'Rourke, Dominican, and Dismas Bonner, a Franciscan, to write a due process procedure for religious institutes. I say these things to encourage newer, younger members of the society to step up and get on committees. You learn a lot and you can help a lot of other people. Well, we all know why we have canon law in the church, but let me just refresh your memory. All law, church and civil law has the same purpose to aid the society to achieve its goals. Of course, the goal of the church is salvation and fidelity to Christ. Law gives structure and organization to the values of the society. We talk about collegiality, we talk about co-responsibility, and now we're talking about synodality. That's great talk. How are we going to do it? How are we going to embed it in our practices. That's what canon law does. Canon law establishes good order and harmony so that society has stability. And then the things that we are most interested in, canon law declares rights and duties of both members and those in authority. Those in authority can't just do what they want to do. They have to do it according to the law. And our law protects rights, 
and our law delineates competency of those who exercise authority, what, what they can and cannot do. And finally, canon law does educate the society as to its values. So I, I say that because I've learned that and incorporated those ideas into me, and that's when I teach and when I'm talking about canon law, I realize that those are the things that are fundamental and explain why we need canon law. After some years in um, Kenrick Seminary, I received another message from my provincial that I was going to go to St. Thomas Seminary in Denver uh, to be the president and rector. There was a full-time canonist, uh, Dick Ryan, some of you may remember him, God rest his soul. Uh, he was on the faculty. So I did little teaching at that time. I did teach some um, permanent deacon classes, um, but I was mostly an administrator. And then from St. Thomas Seminary, I went to DePaul University as the vice president, and finally to Niagara University as the president. During those time, I was able to do some writing. Um, and one of the writings that I want to point out to is the advisory opinions of the Canon Law Society. It's, it's, these are short little case studies that are very important, and they're published every year. And we all have cases of some sort. Maybe we have questions that come to us on the phone or the emails, and we handle them well, write them up, um, give the law, give the background, give your opinion. and um, send it to Donna and she might publish it. Um, and of course I had uh, talks at the national convention and a talk at the regional conventions. And I wrote uh, the chapter on formation of clerics in the original commentary, what we call the red commentary, the 1983 one. After I finish up my work at Niagara University, I came back and I started teaching again. I taught at Aquinas Institute, half online, half face-to-face. -face. In the summer times, I taught at St. Mary's in Winona, Minnesota, and also at the University of Dayton. These were graduate students uh, going for theology degrees or pastoral ministry degrees, and uh, both men and women, and they had absolutely no interest in canon law, but was it was made a requisite for the degree. And I can't tell you how their eyes glazed over when we had our first class. But after an hour of me talking about what we we're going to do, what are the areas that we were going to address, what issues and questions we were going to answer, all of a sudden these people said, oh my gosh, I could use that yesterday. I could have used that last week. I know my family members, la, da, 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 da. And um, so I had their attention. And um, I did a lot of interaction. I had the students in a horseshoe shape and talked to them and walked down and asked them questions. And it, it was great. Uh, I, I truly enjoyed teaching probably more than they enjoyed studying canon law. But I realized a couple of things that in teaching, you just gotta be careful as to 
what judgments you make. There was a fellow in the back of the classroom had his baseball cap over his eyes and I thought he was asleep for sure. And I kept asking him a couple of questions as I did the others and he answered pretty well. Turned out he was one of the smartest students I've ever taught. And he wrote a paper that was excellent in a very difficult topic. So, you know, I hate guys wearing caps in class, but this guy was listening to everything and reading everything. And another example about teaching methods, there was a young lady who during the course of the classes was doing quite well and answering questions and was very engaged. But I had these little tests and quizzes and true and falses and she did miserably. I mean, unbelievably bad. Uh, you can't hardly get that bad. Uh, so when we had the last quiz, which was a long one on marriage, I said to her, um, how about doing this? Let's go outside in the corridor and I will read the question to you and you will answer it. Don't read the paper. I will read it to you. She got a 95 or something. Uh, it, it just, people have different methodologies of learning and I realize I need to have different methodologies of teaching. After I got back from, uh, from Niagara, I started uh, helping clerics mostly, men, men and women religious, but mostly clerics, um, who were accused of various misconducts, mostly sex abuse of minors. I, I served as their advocate. And this, as all of you realize, was a section of canon law, book five processes that we didn't study in Rome. We were told, you never use that stuff. Maybe in marriage cases, you'd use a section on marriage uh, if you're working a tribunal, which I've never done. Uh, but uh, this, this was um, a whole new thing for me, which I had to study carefully. I had to ask help from many other people and we formed a group uh, of people that were helping each other. Um, and in fact, we also put together a workshop, a seminar for the society um, with Dan Spilonic and uh, I can't think of some other names, um, uh, Rick Bass. And uh, we taught other canonists about how to do these cases. This is what I do today. It's it's a good work. It's it's a Vincentian work because Vincent uh, was all about preparing um, priests for good ministry. They were already ordained, but they hadn't learned anything. Um, and so he really was in the formation of clergy. And that became part of our mission as Vincentians. And I have always thought that this is another formation of clergy, different, different time in a man's life. Um, but uh, the man's gone off the rails and I can help him get back on. And uh, whether he's convicted or he's innocent, um, I'm able to help him. Let me talk a little bit about the highlights of my experience in the CLSA. Um, 
besides the little work that I've already mentioned in uh, uh, on committee work, I served as secretary of the society in 1973 to 74. I don't remember anything about that. I, I guess I took minutes. I guess I produced them. I don't know. Um, look up in the proceedings. They should be there. Uh, but I do remember the next thing, which was I was elected um, vice president, president-elect, past president, and and so it's a three-year term. Um, and I was president in uh, 1988, I think it was. And um, that those were great, great times. The board meetings were great. Um, the other members and the consultors were really helpful and. Uh, we had a good time. We met in interesting places. I think one was Florida, um, and we got the work done. And it, it was uh, it was it was good. I enjoyed that. You might ask this old guy, well, how has a society changed over the years that you have been a member, which is 52 or so years? Well, first I could say we have more members, a lot more members, because we have laymen and women who have got their degrees and who are working in tribunals and and uh, also doing other kinds of canonical work and teaching um, in various places. So we have a lot more members. The society is more professional. Uh, we we do we used to do things kind of haphazardly or uh, you know, the best you can, um, part-time executive coordinator. Um, but now the, the offices run very well, and we, uh, I think we are very professional. We, we publish very important resources. A lot of the resources that we use as, as canonists were published by the, by the society, particularly the two commentaries. And, I know we're talking perhaps about another commentary uh, and a revision of other handbooks. Um, but at the, on the other side of that ledger, we have fewer members who are full-time teachers. And though that resource and a lot of the men's names that I just mentioned earlier, uh, they were full-time on the faculty at Catholic U or at seminaries. and. And they were doing research um, for their own uh, position in the faculty. And the society benefited from that. And uh, I don't know that we have that kind of uh, academic powerists which we have had in the past. I wish it would come back. Uh, and our younger members in the society seem to have many pastoral responsibilities besides their canonical ministry. Yes, he works in the in the uh, tribunal, but he's pastor of two parishes and he's the vocation director or he's director of such and such and so and so in the diocese. And um, there's not little time left over to dedicate to the work of the society, uh, unfortunately. So remember I talked about the open bar and how nice that was with the conversations, loosened tongues, etc. Well, when I was president, we had some severe 
financial strains in our budget. And we had raised the um, membership fee as much as we knew how. Uh, the cost of the conventions got higher and higher. There were more, more uh, people present. The prices went up. And so there was only one thing left to do, to kill the cash bar. And I did it. And boy, did I get pilloried for that. Um, in fact, today, Jim Corden will tell you, when, as soon as he sees me, you're the one. You're what happened to our cash bar? <laughs> and I would say, well, Jim, times are times are changing. Uh, you got to pay for for your drink. Um, so I laugh at that. Um, and but it was a it's a different time in reality. So I am going to end and say I appreciate this opportunity to talk about. Uh, my life as a canonist, uh, my uh, life as a teacher, and my relationship with the Canon Law Society. It's been absolutely wonderful. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's my family. Um, I feel that. I have made excellent friends uh, as members of the society, uh, lifelong friends. And um, I still, we still use each other as advisors and colleagues and and uh, when someone gets a uh, a piece of information they'll share it with me and uh, not being in a diocese I don't get some of the stuff that other guys get um, so it's been very helpful so I thank you and I encourage um, the listeners to this podcast to rethink their contributions to the society can they squeeze out a little bit more time a little bit more energy? Can they pick up some of the good work that, that needs to be done so that we remain the professional society that we are? Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Father Paul. I can't tell you how much I personally appreciate all the ways that you've mentioned and encouraged uh, new as well as seasoned members uh, of the CLSA to stay involved, to become involved. I think one of the things you mentioned about Roman replies and advisory opinions that sometimes people forget is that it's an advisory opinion. You have an opinion. People are afraid. Sometimes they'll say, oh, I, you know, I don't want to publish this. So-and-so might read it. But everyone, if you've been through studying canon law, you're entitled to have an opinion. <laughs> exactly. But you back, you back it up with facts and evidence. Right. Yes. Right. And I think that's uh, that's an important thing. So I appreciate that. And I do encourage those who are listening to take a few minutes. If you've got, like you said, an email that comes in, you've written something back to someone. Think about whether or not that could be uh, submitted as an advisory opinion. So and you've given us pointers for that, your whole teaching philosophy. And like you said, it grew over time, maybe from. <laughs> <laughs> it did indeed <laughs> from those first years so we are so grateful to you for for sharing those memories with us and we wish you all the best you will be in our thoughts and our prayers and know that the society is uh backing you 100 percent. so thanks for sharing your time with us today welcome thank you thank you mm -hmm.